that I go through here, and um, we're just going to do session one, and if you want session two and three, I can't really tell you what to do about it, <laughs> but call me and I'll walk you through it, but um, there are, um, I'm going to try and be um, slow enough for you guys to, to write some notes, because this normally has a handout, Dottie was there, and, and Kathy was there and when we did it in, in Houston, um, but uh, feel free to say, whoa, time out, do that again, or I need that slide again. And also, um, one of the greatest things that the handouts had was um, sample um, constitution, sample, um, you know, kind of visions. And, I mean, Debbie was there too. And so, but I'm more than happy to email those to you, and, um, and we, can, we can do that. So, it's going to be very practical. I'm going to hit a little scripture on the front of this, which as you heard me last night, you know, I love the word. And, and it's real weird. It's, I mean, I don't even like to do the same thing twice. And so, um, I, but the Lord has really called me to do this um, often. And so, I am, because it's my passion. It changed my life. And um, because I think we should live life intentionally. And that's really the first point. Why should we even bother living life intentionally? And I can tell you why. Carol, give me a click here. It's now. Now. <laughs> okay, and so Carol, I'm going to read the slide, and when I get to the end of the word, the end of the slide, I'm going to need you to click it again. Okay. So by gra- the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder, and someone else is building on it, but each wants to be careful how he builds. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, his work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. One more quick. If what he builds survives, he'll receive his reward. If what he has burned up, he'll suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping to the flames. That's 1 Corinthians 
um, chapter 3, 10 through 15. And let me just talk about what that looks like. And if, also, just FYI, any word that's underlined up there, it's because that was the fill in the blank, so don't think that was like something, you know, instances added by me. So here's the deal. What does it say? Okay, first Paul is talking to the church of Corinth, and he's saying, okay, everyone had, you know, because they were all about Apollo and Paul and Cephas, and, you know, he said, we all have the same foundation. Here's the foundation. It's Jesus Christ. Here's your foundation. And then from that point, we're all, so we're all, it's all level of the cross. At that point, we start living out our life, what we do in this body. From that point out, will be determined whether or not it's gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or stubble. So we've got the foundation and we're building on top of that. Wood, hay, stubble, precious gold, and it might be kind of mixed in with, within it. And really the heart of that, girls, is, is intentionality. Because we might be doing something really good, but our hearts are totally wrong. One of the biggest things I got convicted about, one of my mentors told me recently, and it's about two years now, was that... Um, Becky, do you serve because you love, or do you serve to be loved? And if I'm serving to be loved, it's wood, hay, stubble. It's wood, hay, stubble. It is not going to survive on the day of the judgment of the Lord. It's gold, silver, precious stones if my heart is right and I'm serving because I love. So you're building your pile, you're building your pile, and for the most part, those piles are relational. How are you doing wifing? How are you doing husbanding? How are you doing daughtering? How are you doing sistering? How are you doing worker? How are you doing employee? How are you doing mom? How are you doing dad? It's relational. That's what those things are. It's not necessarily how many notches I get in the belt for leading someone to Christ. I mean, that's important. But even the very thing of leading someone to Christ could be totally would hey stumble if your heart's wrong. Now, God's going to obviously move in that person's life. It's not, you know, we don't save them anyways. He wants in our heart. So then this is what happens. The, the day. So the day is coming. And that's the day of, it's, it is for the believer, for those who are personal believers in Jesus Christ, there is a day that we will stand before the Lord at the beam seat of the Lord, and he will tell us. It's not the great white throne judgment. It's not saying heaven, hell. It's not that. We'll see that. And we'll, be a, we will, we'll witness that, which is kind of a scary thought. But it's not that. What it is is another time where we're going to be judged to find out whether or not we got what kind of reward we're going to receive. And so he's going to, some, so we're going to come up there, and our God is always a loving, gracious God. Uh, you know, the film of our life is not going to be displayed before everybody else to cause any shame or pain in front of anybody else. But the Bible's very clear in Revelation that our tears will be wiped away when, after this day, which is. You know, kind of interesting. It's, you know, just because we die and go to heaven, everything's not going to be perfect yet. Because we haven't returned to the Edenic state. We haven't, you know, that's a, that's a thousand year kingdom money, and that's a whole other teaching, that's a whole big can of worms that I'm not going to get into today. And it's definitely a, a rib issue and not a fine issue. But on that day, we'll stand before the Lord, and He will say, okay, here's your pile. And then somehow fire is going to come out. I don't know if it's going to come out of his eyes, and it's going to point, I don't know if it's just going to burning bush kind of thing. And the wood, hay, and stubble is going to be burnt up. And what's left is the reward. And that reward um, will be used for several things. One, of course, we talked about, we sang one of our hymns today, we sang about laying the rewards at Jesus' feet. But it also will judge, it will also determine where we go in the um, thousand-year reign and how we rule with Jesus. Because there's different levels in the ruling of the kingdom. And that's a whole other story as well. And that also ties in the fact, you know, when 
I, I don't know about you guys, but sometimes I think it's just not fair when someone gets saved, like, you know, at the end of their life and they get to go right to glory. I mean, you know? And, but that is. That kind of, because God is a fair and just God, you know? And so this reward, He's in. And that's what it says. It says, if we built survive, he'll receive His reward. If it is burned up, He'll suffer loss. Loss of reward, not loss of salvation, because what does it say next? He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping to the flames. He just slid in there. And sliding in there is just as good. You know, I'm not sure if they get a shack instead of a mansion. I don't know how all that works, but, you know, he's lost his reward. And so our motivation, our heart motivation, it becomes totally different in our relationship. Because God's going to judge us for that, for that relationship, for that very moment in time. And he desires, what did we talk about last night? He's crediting us to righteousness. He's not adding up your weak stuff. He's adding up your good stuff. He's not adding mistakes. He's adding up your good things. So, next slide, Carol. I guess without faith, good show, Carol. He's just doing a great job. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. That is a, a profound verse. Because it says that... Um, you, you, it's not just believing that he exists, because we know in James it tells us the demons believe he exists. You know, again, when he walked on the earth, I mean, how many times did he speak to the demon, and the demon, I mean, the demon spoke to him first. You know, he knew he was God. Oh, son of God, don't, you know, cast us out, throw us into the pigs. You know? They, they said they, their existence is not the salvation. You know, the real blessing for the Lord, when you want to please the Lord, believe he's going to reward you. And I love that, because I love rewards. You know, he knows that we need a motivation system. I'm telling you, I got a great job, but if I didn't get a paycheck every two weeks, I am certain that I would probably not be as, as excited about going to work every day. Now, I probably would still go to work regularly because I'm a worker and a performer and, you know, a people pleaser and, you know, all those issues. But that's, that's a reward at the end of the tunnel for me for that, you know, for just the first, the first two weeks. If I know that I can fit into a dress, that's a reward at the end of the thing. You know, your kids, you reward them. Allowances are rewarding. So it's okay to reward. And I love the Lord. He knows that we need rewards. So that's the reward. I want. To, and here's my thing what I think about all the time. I want a big pile. I want a big pile. I mean, a per- perfect example this afternoon. Perfect example. It is. I want to play with my friends. Wood, hay, stubble. You know, I will have a chance to... Talk with those girls, visit with those girls, spend time with those girls, go shopping with those girls. I'll never, ever have the opportunity to have these people in this room ever again. It's a once-in-a-lifetime experience. You know what? You all want once-in-a-lifetime experience? You're having one. Right here. Because the, these people at this time and this hour and these outfits will never be in the same place. <laughs> ever again. And I got my flip-flops on even, so. But that's it. I'm, but it's, you know what? But I believe gold would, you know... I'm like, Carol, can we, you know, we can't even cancel. It's too late to cancel. And so we're doing that. So next one. And so, okay, so if we want to have a big reward, we want to have a big pile because living life obviously is going to be important, what do we got to do? Here's this. Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. Becoming godly is just not a magic pill we take. Becoming godly is something we've got to train ourselves to be about. We've got to train, we've got to have a program, we've got to have a system. How am I going to train myself to be righteous? Oh, I've got that book that was really good. But, so, um, and what's so important 
It's what, and really, this is what your your value statements do. What your godly statements, I mean, what your value statements do is they determine you're godly. What's godly to you? Because I'm hoping we all want to be godly. I'm hoping that's like up top, about godly. I want to be Christ-like. That's what it is. Okay, so what is God calling me in our Christ-likeness to be and to walk through each one of those things? Next slide. Ephesians 5, 15 and 16, and the King James Version says this, See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. We need to redeem our time. The days are anybody want to, anybody have a doubt that the days are evil? I'm telling you, come and listen to my end of the telephone call and 13-year-old girls that are raped by their stepfather, they're seven months pregnant, and they're afraid that he's going to get out of jail and take her to Mexico. I mean, I got, we got evil things going on in this world, and we need to redeem the time. And so we need to be circumspect. And what circumspect means is the same verse that they uses it in the, um, uh, in Matthew 2.8. It means, when, when, um, it means being exactly, accurately, diligently, and it really means 360 degrees. So you're constantly looking at what's around you, all the relationships around you, and then up and down with the Lord. What's going on with that? So you're ever looking 360. And the verse in Matthew 2.8, it's the same verse when, he, when Herod sent out the guards to go look for the young boys when they found out about Jesus, you know, had been born, and he said, well, I'll just kill them all. We'll kill all of them. Don't you think they did a diligent, thorough search? And what we need to do in our lives, on a regular basis, similar to what Nick said today, we need to have a thorough investigation of, of what's going on in our lives. And look in and say, hey, is there any, you know, I praise the Lord this morning. Lord, do I have any spiritual bricks on my head that's stunting my growth? Because I want to grow. You know, you for now, what year did y'all get saved? What year did y'all get saved just now? 76. 76. So that's 32 years, okay? I've been a believer 16 years, so Nick and Yusinel have 16 years on me. And I look at people like Nick and Yusinel, and I'm like, okay, what are they doing? You know, what are they doing in their lives? Because I want to be like them. You know, I want to be, you know, we want to be like Jesus, but sometimes Jesus, that goal of Jesus is so far away, I'm just, you know, trying to get there. You know, and I'm not exalting them or lifting them up. But, you know, my heart in that. But they got 16 years of me, okay, what do I need to do? So you're looking circumspectly, what do I need to change in my life? And that is, I mean, what, call it whatever you want. But that's a good question to be asking yourself. What spiritual bricks do I have in my life, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, physically, that need to do that? Okay. So one of the ways that um, we can um, control our time, and I mean control our life and look circumspectly, is to control your time. But I think this is real important. We need to understand about time. Barbara, if I said, what, it, what time is it? What would you do? There you go. 20 after, but I think it's a little wrong. A little wrong. <laughs> of course. So according to Barbara, it's all, see, even this is so ties into what it is. It's all relative. Yeah. Time is relative. Yeah. To Barbara, it's 20 after 12. Yeah. Now, if I were to call my friend that lives in Colorado, it'd be 20 after 1. Mm-hmm. You know, and you guys might have 15 after 1. I mean, 15 after 2. You know, or 30 after 2. Or 15 after 3 for my, you know, New Yorker folks. You know? And so time, and as opposed to if I say, uh, you know, Barbara, what is time? Time. What is it? Totally event, and it's totally events. That's exactly what it is. It is one event after the other. Is this a slide? Let's cook my slide. I don't know if it's really. Okay, good. How wonderful. I love it when a plan comes together. Okay, click, click, click. Do a couple clicks for me. Um, and one more. Um, everything is an event. And um, Einstein said, you know, time has no um, 
uh, independent existence apart from the order of events we measure. So, did the train arrive at the station at 7 o'clock, or the clock turned to 7 o'clock when the, tra the train arrived? So we sit here and we so often have some fallacies, and I'll talk about that in a minute, but we need to understand that if everything in our life is a series of events, everything, everything, sleep, eat, fellowship with our family, church, it's all events, and we all have the same amount of time that's available to us, and so if we can just kind of start moving our events appropriately, then we can do that. And I think this is two great things, two time fallacies that we all have. Go ahead. Go ahead. Okay, one more time. Okay, two fallacies we have. We're going to have more time at some unspecified date than we do now. Well, someday I'm going to. You know? Yeah, you go. I'm, everyone's up here. You're preaching now. Um, someday I'm going to. And here's the thing. What's your someday? I mean, you know, someday's coming. Someday is coming. And so we need to start planning today for our someday. You know, someday I'm going to retire. Well, when someday gets here, if you haven't been saving money for the past 40 years, retirement's not going to happen. You know, someday I'm going to learn how to play the piano. That's great. What are you doing today to learn how to play the piano? I'm saving money. And there's a thousand things you can be doing today for your someday. And then that makes the everyday existence of today worthwhile. Someday I'm going to learn how to play the piano. So I'm saving, you know, $5 every week and putting it aside so we can buy a piano and, you know, someday I'm going to finish college. Well, I went and I got, I got the course book. I figured out how to do it online. I took my test. I mean, there's a ton of things that we can do for that someday. And, you know, someday I'm going to spend more time with my kids. Well, someday is today because we're not going to have some more time at a, at a specified distance. And um, what so often happens is that insignificant events have become more valuable. I mean, that's just, I mean, we have let things that don't have as much value in our own personal life become more important. Um, you know, I am, um, I'm always blessed because for you guys to come here this week, it's just significant. I mean, and that's why I, I want the staff and, and Carol has the same heart. You know, you guys have invested a lot. You know, financially, uh, time-wise, to give a week to come in here. We don't want it just to be halfway. That's why, I mean, please. You know, fill out those evaluations and make it better. What can we do better? What can we make it better next time? So it's a greater value for you guys because you have invested a lot in what in what's going on. Proverbs three, uh, one and two. Thank you. I want to see them. It's not up there. It says in Proverbs three, one and two, and of course, talk about wisdom with the live. My son, do not forget my teachings, but let your heart keep my commandments for length of days and years of life, and peace will, will be added to you. Length of day. Who needs longer days? You know, I think what I probably do is I just need to schedule less, because I always schedule about 25 hours worth of stuff in a 24-hour day, you know, and I push it in, you know. takes me 15 minutes to get anywhere in Houston. Well, probably takes me at least 15 minutes. takes me 15 minutes to go to the store. You know, but I think I can do it in, it takes me 30 minutes, and I think I can do it in 15. I mean, that's usually what I do, seven in there. But for length of days and years of life, and peace they'll add to you. As we follow his commands, he's telling he's going to be linked to life. I love that. In Ephesians 5, 15, and 16. I don't know if I said this already. Did I talk about Ephesians 5, 15, and 16? Is that being circumspect? Yeah. Making the best use of your time because the days are evil. So, some fallacies, insignificant events. I love this one, next one, time robbers. 
Go ahead and click about four, four times. One more. Okay. Here's what's happening. Okay, Dottie, if I were to give you a check for $10,000, mm-hmm. don't cash it. <laughs> but let's just pretend. Work with me, okay? All right. Give you a check for $10,000. You've got 24 hours to spend it. By, by 2.30, according to Barbara's watch, tomorrow, you have got to have spent your check. What would you, have, what would you buy with $10,000? Oh, wow. <laughs> what would I buy? That would be a hard one. Oh, come on. Clothes, tri- it's free. I mean, there's, you know, no restrictions. You know, would you put money away to go to Alaska on a cruise? Would you buy a new car? Would you pay off debt? Um, my first thought was I'd put it in the bank. Okay. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> because the times are evil and the days are short. <laughs> you might want to save it in a kingdom type. I think I might just put it under the mattress. Put it under the mattress. <laughs> okay, let's just say, so she puts it under a mattress. By default, because Dottie put that money under the mattress, she chose to not do anything else. And the, she, I mean, she didn't choose to buy clothes. She didn't choose to, and it's gone. She spent it. Ten thousand dollars shoved in the mattress. She is by, by default chosen, chosen to not spend on anything else. And there's nothing wrong with sticking money in the mattress, you know, after the market this year. I mean, this week. But you know, that's what she chose to do. And by default, she, she spent everything else somewhere else. And and her value in her mind, you know, if I were to ask a, a 19-year-old that question, uh-huh. <laughs> oh, they would, ha- they'd be like. I got I got on my PDA. I can tell you exactly what I buy. First, I'd buy a new Wii with a new second player edition, and then I'd buy a laptop, and then that new iPod. I mean, they would have your list. They would know exactly. By her answer, we know what her value is: security, stability, future. You know, she's retired. So what she retired on today is not the same as what she retired on before. She's getting healthier. She's going to live longer. By her very choice, she has chosen to do that. And by her decision, we eliminate everything else. And time is just like money. Time is just like money. We're given, I have this somewhere, but I've never written down. You know, we're given 24 hours a day, you know, 1,200 minutes, 8,642, something like that, seconds. And they're gone. They're spent. And the very definition. And what we often do is we allow some robbers to do it. How many people have said, the day is gone, I don't even know what I did with it? Mm-hmm. You know, my day's gone. What did I do today? Mm-hmm. What did I do today? And so when you grab this, a couple of things, go ahead, click me about three times. And these are three big things that I think uh, we need to just hit on real quick about how we get time is robbed from us. Because we allow people to rob our time. So one of the biggest things is interruptions. We allow interruptions to steal our time that we will never, ever, ever get back. And so um, one of the things, I mean, whether it's work-related or whether it is um, in a personal relation situation, if I'm up against something, I'm trying to, you know, get ready to go to work or I'm at work and I'm trying to finish a deadline or something's going on. I'm trying to get dinner on the table if I were married with my husband. You know, I'm trying to get that ready to go. And the phone rings or someone knocks on my office door and they're, you know, like, hey, how are you? I'm like, hey, good to see you. Nice talking to you. Um, and then my next response usually is going to be, you know, um, someone's phone's about to go off. My next response usually is going to be, um, how can I help you? 
And that's all I just, I just call and I just popped in, just want to say hi, I want to tell you about what I did. That's great. Hey, look, that's real important to me, but I'm trying to get this one thing out. Can we do it tomorrow at 2.30 or whatever? Or can I call you back in the morning? You know, Huddy's coming home early from work. But instead, we are on the phone or we're talking to them face-to-face and we're not giving them undivided attention. We are not valuing anything they're saying. We're multitasking, but we're so afraid of not offending anybody. By saying, right now, you know, Teresa, you're important to me, but I don't have the time right now. And to get all of me, I'd ask you, can we put this off till tomorrow? Oh, sure, sure, absolutely. And then we have to go to trust their response. Because then they wander off and pout and say, you know, I really don't have time for me. (laughs) No, I just said I don't have time for you now. Because other things are more important. I'm telling you, when I'm talking to my girlfriends on the phone, there's two things that drive me up the wall. There's one thing that drives me up the wall. One thing I love. Talking to my girlfriend. Daddy knows what's coming. I talk to my girlfriends on the phone and call interruption. Some people call it call waiting. I call it call interruption. And especially if I have caller ID. Hey, wait a second. Let me see who it is. And I'm my response usually is, that's okay. I'll talk to you later. Because I want you 100%. I'm a quality time girl. I'll freely admit, Carol, am I one-on-one? I mean, Carol, it's just, I'm the worst. I admit it. Mickey wants me to come to Charleston, and she said, why don't you bring Carol? I said, I don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> I call Carol. Carol's up here in, 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 in Roundtop. Um, Carol's like, ah, when are you going to come? Come up and see me. I'm like, well, who's coming? Is that, is that the truth? I don't say, who's coming? Because I want one-on-one time. Except it's the only reason it is. The only reason I don't hang up is, hey, Beck, you know, it's my husband. Let me click over. Okay. Because, my goodness gracious, what I preach and what I teach my younger women and my older women, you know, they need to be clicking over for me. And if they, if they say, oh, it's my husband, I'll call my husband. No, 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 I'll go. Because I am not more important than he is. You know, I'm talking to my friends. You know, I hear the girls, the kids come stumbling through the door after school. Hey, you got to go. I'll let you go. See ya. Because if you're on the phone talking to your friends, when your kids come running through the door, you know what you're saying to your kids? Don't interrupt me. So we need to hang those up. Interruptions. Manage your interruptions. And by goodness gracious, procrastination. And there is nobody to blame but you. And just put it off, put it off, put it off, put it off. We're putting it off to win. Either quit talking about doing it or, or do it and just be done with it. Quit procrastinating. Get it done. Go clean out that closet. Go do whatever. Let me tell you, I'll tell a story, and I'll tell on Carol Lewis. Carol Lewis, how long have we been talking about cleaning out your closet? <laughs> your mother's closet. I read it. 1999. <laughs> Carol Lewis, got it, clean it, got it, got it, got it, got it, got it. Okay, so we had this little mini hurricane storm in the September, Labor Day, earlier on. Labor Day, September. Yeah, Labor Day. And so Lisa and Lisa were down there, and because they were going to, they were starting to pack up, and it was finally like, let's just clean it out. Is that the truth? Am I not? Am I telling the truth? Let's clean this out finally. Nine years. Yeah. Eight a.m. to midnight. It was a long day, and a lot of people, but they got it all done, distributed, and that stuff was gone. So, boom, fast forward two weeks, and all of a sudden, Ike comes through. And Carol was able to salvage a lot of stuff that they would have put in a trailer and park off. Now, they obviously lost a lot, but they would have lost even more because she 
had, didn't even have that done. So procrastination, I mean, God was gracious. I mean, I mean, how many times did we, we were so thankful that we'd, they had finally gotten the closet cleaned out. And so those very things that the Lord is gracious and allowed, you know, I'm, you know, heck, the hurricane might have come eight years ago if she would have cleaned her closet eight years ago. I mean, I don't know, you know, if there's connection or anything like that. And then also poor planning, and I wish I was spending two more hours with you to tell you how to plan, but it's just, you've got to have a plan. You've got to have a purpose, and there's a ton of things out there, and I could talk to you about how to do that, but it, the biggest thing, the biggest thing I'll tell you in planning is, is once you write your values, then write goals associated with those values, and becomes what becomes important, and I'll talk about that in a little bit. You know, the definition of madness, who knows the definition of madness? The definition of madness. Madness. That's right. Doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. <laughs> we do the same thing over and over, and all of a sudden we think we should get different results. And you don't get the same results. Every time I say that to him, he always responds like that. Well, quit saying it to him, you know? You know, every time I hold my arm like that, it hurts, you know? Quit holding your arm like that is my always response on that. So we need to, to, if you're sitting there wondering, okay, what about my time? I don't have any time. I don't have time to manage my time, I, you know. So looking at the interruptions and the procrastinations. The interruptions and procrastinations, try and do this. This is what's amazing. Do I have the time slide? Oh, bummer. I don't have it on my slide. I don't have a thing. There's, there's a, um, I think it was on the, I'm sorry, it was on the handout. There's this, it's, uh, it's a kind of productivity triquasion. It's three things that come together. Self-esteem, productivity, and event control. When we manage our control, when we manage our events, we're going to increase our productivity just by default because we're going to look at our day and we're going to figure it out. When we increase our productivity, we increase our self-esteem. We all feel better. I don't care whether you like your list. I've gotten Carol almost to the point where she writes down things after she does it so she can check it off. <laughs> no, don't click. I mean, that's, you know, like, yeah, because it feels good. Click it off. Get it done. And it's all, so if your self-esteem feels better and you're feeling better about your self-esteem, then you're going to want to manage your events more. Because you're staying control on that, which is then going to create the productivity. Productivity comes up, you're going to do the next, you know, those all three are interconnected. And that's how it really becomes man. So at the end of the day, you lay your pillow down at the end of the day. For me, because my, really my priority is my work, because I don't, I don't have any children, I don't have a husband to take care of, you know, no animals. No, I mean, so for me, is, is a lot of really my values in my work, and, and that's okay, because I don't have anything else managing, and, you know, do I have work issues? I probably do, but, you know, that's for another session. It's mine teaching this session, okay? <laughs> Somebody else could teach me that session. But, you know, at the end of the day, I've made my list, and if I have done the, what I call the A1, it's an important event, and it's the very most important event for me to do that day. If I've done that, then I can lay my head down at the end of the day and I can say, okay, I've done it. I had a lot of interruptions. I did what I could. But I made my list and I worked on doing the most important thing. <laughs> I have friends that are married with young children and, you know, anybody that's been married with young children or are still married with young children, you know, you've got this long list of things to do and you usually don't get hardly any of it done because kids happen and life happens. And and they'll call and I'm just like, ah, you know, and she's all about checking off and I'm like, you know, did you, you know, did you, did you kiss your kids and love your husband and, 
you know, and that's real important because you're supposed to, you know, train your children and serve your husband, not serve your children and train your husband. Just a little. <laughs> if it sticks, take it, you know. So, uh, did you do that? You know, and it's okay if the, you didn't get the living room dusted. You know, because your pile of stuff, he's not going to say, um, wood, hay, stubble, you didn't dust the living room. No, he's going to say, you loved your kid, gold, silver, precious stone. You took coffee to your husband at work, Timmy's. And so, you know, that's what matters, and that's what's important. To go then productivity. Okay, urgent does not want to be does not mean vital. Urgent does not mean fight. They're dropping like flies. Lord help us. <laughs> urgent does not mean vital, and that's so important because who wants to read more books? Does anybody want to read more books in here? You know, probably everybody that reads a ton of books already. We want to read, but you know, we got books that we want. But you know what? Books don't ring. You know, who wants to memorize more scripture? You know, you know, but they don't ring, and so you really need to work on how do I make that thing ring, you know? Want to spend more time with their kids, with their grandkids, you know? Right? Why don't we, why don't we just, like, write real letters instead of just email letters? You know, one of the, one of the, um, I'm a history buff. I'm a, such a history nerd. I, like, buy history textbooks from, like, 1950s and 60s and read them, American history books. I don't have a life, you know? <laughs> I'm a nerd. I admit it. But um, I love history. And Civil War is one of my favorite eras to study. And we know so much about history um, in so many ways, and especially biographies, through journals and written letters that have been saved over the time. And I think back to, like, our generation now. That You know, if the Lord chooses a Terry in 100 years from now and they look back in 19, you know, 90s, 2000, I mean, how, you know, you know, we lose every. You know, we lose everything. And um, I mean, why don't we just take some time and write some more personal note cards? I mean, it it just really. And with when you write, usually you'll have your correct punctuation and all that stuff. That's a whole other pet peeve of mine. But you know, so I, I think we do. But it takes time. So we can be sitting in front of the computer. You know, and sitting in front of the computer is not the same as being with your husband. Just FYI, even if he's there, doesn't quite work that way. Because undivided attention, we all want undivided attention. But um, so we need to figure out how to make things ring, how to make books ring, how to make our, 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 our friends weak. So go ahead, do this next one. So I must create a system that takes your deepest values and you translate them into daily activities. Your deepest values and translate them into daily activities. And it's real important, number one, for you to understand what your values are. What really is important? What do I really want people to say about me when I die? What do I really want people to say about me when I die? Out loud, you know. Um, and we'll come back to that because I think we're going to have time to hit some of this. Um, go ahead and hit the next slide for me. Your governing values are the foundation for personal fulfillment. Because it ties right back into that. It's almost, I mean, it's, it's a pyramid that goes on here. Your foundation, your values are the base of that pyramid. And then from your values, you choose goals. And from your goals, you choose daily tasks. And if my value down here, I mean, here's a perfect example. Caroline, I guess it's probably been a year now, because I think it was probably around top last year is when we kind of started talking about this. Um, one of my values is to be an influencer, and another one of my values is to be physically fit. That's what I, I want. Those things are important to me, and that's what I, that's what I focus on, and, and, um, and, they're, and they're prioritized. So Carol and I talked. Um, it's been about a year, and I, 
We started at 921, 9.27 meeting, and we would meet Monday mornings at 6 o'clock. That's normally our exercise time. And so, but for me, my decision was already made. It's more important for me to influence someone's life than it is for me to be physically fit. I was talking to somebody last night, and she was talking to me about, you know, my husband doesn't always support me in my exercise. And I'm like, what's your values? Is it more important for you to be a godly, submissive wife? Is it more important for you to get your, you know, 45 minutes on the treadmill? I can't answer that for You know, I can give a whole bunch of scriptures that would probably answer that for But I don't, you know, she's got to make that choice. And so because of my values, you know, it makes my my daily decisions of at 6 o'clock, Carol and I are going to sit down and meet. We're going to work through our values. We're going to work through our goals. We're going to plan our week. We're going to work together on those kind of things. So that's how it kind of, the, the plan works out. Uh, a girlfriend of mine, one of her desires is to be um, a godly wife. And for her, Bodie likes to have dinner on the table at 5.30 when he walks through the door. You know, the good thing is, you know, Andre and I like our food really hot. And Bodie wants it lukewarm so he can eat it as fast as he can. And so <laughs> that usually is okay. So she can have it on the table. So that's her value. And um, so one of the things she can do that way and love her husband, as God would call her, really, that's a really respect. Because that's what he wants, so you serve him at his level. That's respect. I'm going to respect my husband by serving dinner at 5.30 with a meal that he wants. So at 2.30 when I miss my girlfriend shopping, and I know that we've got swim practice at 4 and I'm picking the kids up at 3.30, at 2.30 we're shopping. I have to leave. Not I. Andrea has to leave to go home to start fixing supper so that it's kind of in the crock pot or whatever going along so that I can pick up the kids at 3.30, go to swim practice, and at 5 o'clock be home to be able to get the dinner on the table at 5.30. Now, if she didn't have her values backing up that decision of saying, I want to be a godly wife, then at 2.30, when all, I mean, like, again, all my Sarah and Brenham, you know, I'm hip with you guys. Not at all. Please know my heart on that. I'm really joking on that. And I'm glad to be here. I'm thankful. And, um, but when she, at 2.30, you know, it's time for her to leave, and they're going to head on to another store, it makes, you know, it's the decisions they made. Okay, see you guys later. Because at the end of the day, I really want my husband to be respected and my children to see me respect my husband so that it will affect their future marriages. And so I'm going to go home, and you can guys can go shopping, and then, you know, you got your own stuff with your husband that you got to deal with. You see how those, those things work together and it makes those decisions. Um, you know, I'm, I'm as, a, as an employer, I have a staff person who's having some family issues. And um, and I'm like, you know, I appreciate your family issues, but part of your job is I need the phones covered from 9 to 4 because we got girls that are calling, they're in crisis, I need to be able to communicate with them immediately. And I understand your family situation, you know, let's work. And I prioritize your family. I mean, I'm like, don't take work home, don't do that, I prioritize your family. But as, a, as an employer, my priority is not my staff's family. It's important. It's important. I'm going to honor that, and I'm going to do what I can to make that happen. But she gets paid to be there from 9 to 4. And so I have to say, you know, hey, do we need to go on an hourly wage instead of a salary wage because you need time off? You know, do you just need to always have Thursday afternoon off? I can do that. Then I know that I need Thursday afternoon off. But I don't need an email at 3.30 saying I've left, you know, because I'm not in the office a lot, you know. And so, but those are, as in my values. So, so you see how those values, when it goes back to those values, and those wiping the bottoms, going to the grocery store, you know, confronting a staff person makes a whole lot more sense. Is that, am I, is that connecting? So you see that. So I'm just going to hit on that for a little bit. One other thing, too, and cook the next slide, Carol. Crossing the I-beam. 
Some people say, well, I really don't have important values. But I'm going to, um, Jan, come down here for a second, please. <coughs> and um, this is something that will really help you um, line up your values of what's important. And it will, I hope this is a good visual that you'll remember to walk through life. Okay, Jan, this is what I've done. Do you know what an I-beam is? A steel I-beam. You mean like I used to walk on in gymnastics? Could be. That could be it. Exactly. Exactly. I was this wide. <laughs> when you're skinnier than the fall of the beam itself. Exactly. So a steel I-beam, it's, it's really a support. It's probably, it's probably steel I-beams in these ceilings that they use as support to hold up buildings. So sturdy, strong. You know, they make them super long and all that stuff. So I've got this huge I-beam laying down the ground. Down there at Barber Street is $50. Oh. All you got to do is get up on that I-beam, walk across it, and you can get $50. Yeah. You going for it? Right. You going for it? I right. yeah. shoes off. Well, right. of course. You can just take your shoes off, whatever you want. You're walking across it. Yeah. You go across the I-beam. We're good. We're good. I mean, we're doing we're it. We're good. We're good. You know, you're going to walk across the I-beam, yeah. you know? You know, it's probably a long way down. Yes. Uh, sure. Two inches. Yeah. Four inches. Yeah, exactly. Okay, now here's the deal. I'm going to take, let's just imagine, you know, um, Let's imagine the Twin Towers still are standing. And I take that I-beam, and I made it, you know, 300 yards long, and I got it stretched between the two I-beams. I mean, between the two towers. Okay, and it's misting slightly. And you're over here, and I got $50 down there. Are you going to you gonna walk across the beam for that? Well, not. You, you whip it without shoes, right? Not even whip. Okay, let me ask you, you got a million dollars down there. I'm not going to take my life. Yeah, it's not worth that. Okay, you have any grandchildren? Oh, yeah. Okay, you got a grandchild down there, and Barbara's hanging out over the edge. Yeah. And I'm saying, you're going to go over it? Yeah, I'll try. We also know Barbara's not going to drop her, so, you know. <laughs> okay, let me do this. Okay, I'm holding her over the edge here. Okay, that's what I thought. You're going across that beam. You know, you, I'm down there saying, either you come across this beam or you renounce Christ. Yeah. You're walking across that beam. I'm down here over this end of the thing. I got a dozen glazed filled donuts. No. <laughs> How about pasta? No. no you're the pasta queen. I'm the pasta. I'm the junkie. So, thank you. So, that is, what are you, gonna, what are you willing to walk across your I-beam? You know what we're doing, girls? We are walking across these I-beams for stuff down here that we don't really, in the long run, really care about. And especially as women with relationships. We are all about pleasing our friends. You know, we go to women's ministries. And the fruit of the Spirit is just flowing love and joy and peace and kindness. And then we go home. Rah, 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 rah. I mean, is it not the truth? I live by myself when that happens, you know? That is the truth. And so I'm so glad we didn't get that on camera. You like that? You guys missed it. No, I can't. It's never the same again. You know, and so we need to really come back around circumspectly, look in our lives, and say, really, what is matter? What matters in my life that I'm willing to walk across an I beam for? You know, I mean, Carol and I, um, we walk outside after or after exercise. Oftentimes, we'll warm out, we'll we'll cool down outside. Some of sometimes it's a warm up. The way depends on how the exercise has gone that day. <coughs> Excuse me. So we um, walk around outside, and at First Baptist, Houston, we have um, a daycare there. And we're usually out there between 6.30 and 7. I think the daycare starts accepting children about 6.30. And men and women are pulling up in, you know, Lincoln Navigators. 
and Lexuses and Mercedes, BMWs, unloading, you know, sleepy kids with, you know, sleeping eyes, and sometimes infants and car carriers, taking them inside. And, and I'm just, I'm going to be honest. I'm just going to confess. You know, oftentimes I have to turn to Carol and say, they're sacrificing their children at the altar of Alexis. Now, and then I'm real quick to follow up with, you know, we don't know the whole story. We don't know the whole situation. And so I'm, you know, that, you know I'm not saying everybody who drives Alexis and takes their kid to daycare is evil. You know, I'm not. But, but when we look at the long range of life, I know most kids that I know would rather live in a double wide and eat beanie weenies and mom drive a pinto and dad drive a truck and then we're home at night together and I know their security. And, and so, I mean, I'm, I'm sure nobody in this room does that, but I'm just saying we sure do need to check out what's going on and it would be much, and I'm telling you, you guys heard about that guy last year and last week in LA? Yeah. Accounting executive? Killed his mother in law, himself, his children, his wife, not in that order necessarily. Yeah, exactly. And it eventually took him his life because of the financial crisis. That was totally 100%. I mean, you're in California, you know, you saw it. I mean, it was just on the headlines. I saw it on the headlines. Over little green pieces of paper. That's what it is. Little green piece of paper. Now, I like little green piece of paper. I'm a nonprofit, so I like people to be successful in business because then they give more little green piece of paper. So don't get me wrong. This is where we live in the world today and the kingdom that we live in today, Little K Kingdom. It's, it's necessary. You know, rely on energy or, you know, electric company or whatever. They like me to send them a check every month. I can tell them i got little old ladies playing for us every day, and they appreciate that. But I'm still turning your power off. <laughs> So we need to be real careful about what's going on. One quick thing. Let's, is this next slide the whole thing? Yeah. Okay. This is, um, <coughs> this is really the heart of what goes on in our lives. We have basically four needs in our lives. The need to, to live. The need to love and be loved, the need to feel important, and the need to experience a variety or, or live life risky. Those are some basic, pretty much everything in our life, every other need in our life fits into that thing. I mean, that's it. To live, to love, to be loved, to experience variety, and um, to feel important. And so those are our needs. And then with that, we have a, this huge filter of life, our belief window. Okay? And because of what's on our belief window, we create rules. That's our ifs and whens. And then because of that, it affects our behaviors. And then we check out the results, and then we go back and see how it lines with our needs. And this slide will be up here a long time, so don't freak out. So, then, you know, but it is, it's worthy of writing down. So here's an example. A man has a need to be alive, and because of... Uh, as a three-year-old child, a German shepherd came bounding up to him, didn't bite him or anything, but just really scared the stew out of him. You know, came bounding up, you know, kind of like meathead bounded up to you. He can't hurt you, but he's just going to bark at you. And so because of that, that, because of that behavior 
And, I mean, the least window in his life, Doberman's will scare, I mean, uh, German Shepherds will hurt me. Because that's at three years old is what he thought. He comes out to, if I get close to a German Shepherd, I will get hurt. Therefore, I will never get close to a German Shepherd. And it seems to work, right? Because if you never get close to a German Shepherd, German Shepherd never helps you, so it must be true. German Shepherds will hurt you. But then he has this whole other issue, this need issue of feeling important. And his feeling important because his dad was, you know, some macho big, you know, guy and whatever. He thinks it's important to not be afraid of anything. So because of that, he is, um, so if I'm fearful that I'm not macho, so that I'm not important, so he walks into his friend's house and hears a German shepherd come bounding up to him. He's in a huge conflict. Do I be macho or do I live? <laughs> do I feel important or do I live? And most of the time, you know, you're going to fall back to the original one because living is obviously a whole lot more important than feeling important for most of us. Obviously, it's not for a lot because we'll, we'll do a lot of things to feel important. So you see how that works, okay? So a little girl gets molested when she's three years old and the belief window gets majorly damaged and so then she creates... Um, a rule that um, if I am molested, if I if I have any physical touch with somebody, I will get hurt. That's it. Therefore, my behavior responds this way. I eat so that I'm this big because then nobody wants to touch me. I um, I set up huge walls and I'm mean. I'm just mean. I tell you, I was mean. You know. I'm going to be mean, and then nobody can go close to me, and then nobody wants to touch me, and then I'm not going to get hurt. I mean, you, you see how that, so that, so, so, and this is what's so important, it's us as believers. I, I, you know, okay, here's the need, I need to feel important. You know, mom was promiscuous, she always had all this attention that was going on, so therefore, if I have sex with guys, then I am important. Okay, so what happens? I go and I'm promiscuous. I go and fornicate. And, you know, and I feel important for a season, but then that feeling dies, and so what do I need to do next? I need to go fornicate again, go find another guy. I mean, that's, you know, that's the pattern. So, you see, so what is so key for us as believers, what's on your belief window? Like I said, this, I, would have, I had a, did a radio interview this morning, and the pregnancy is not the problem. The pregnancy of a 17-year-old girl is a symptom of a problem. Because 17-year-olds really should not be having sex. You know, 2,000 years ago, different story. But today, they shouldn't be having sex. So let's go back to what's their if-then statement, what's their belief window. You know, she asked me, what are we supposed to, you know, her question to me is, how do I, how, what would you counsel parents about how to avoid this so they don't have to come to life out? And I said, Ma, I said, Dads, and it was a secular radio station. And I said, Dads, you need to take your girls on dates. I don't care if they're sitting over there texting the whole time and they're rolling their eyes. You need to take them out. You need to invest time in their lives and show them that you care. And it's going to be awkward. And Do it anyways. You know, we're weird. Do it anyways. And I said, Moms, you talk about sex. And don't just talk about the birds and the bees and what sex is. And I was so glad I was able to put this plug in because... At LifeHouse, we teach um, 
people say, do you teach abstinence? I said, yeah, I teach abstinence, but obviously these girls are like fornicating. So, you know, the concept of abstinence doesn't work. It doesn't mean don't throw it out the window. But what we say is this. It's no such thing as safe sex. Because every single time you have sex with somebody else, you're giving a part of yourself away. And so moms, tell your girls that before you give any part of yourself away, make sure that person is worthy of receiving a part of you. You know, and then that builds in self-worth and who they are and all that kind of stuff. So this is important. So we as believers, our belief window has to be huge. Huge. The need to, be, to, need to live, that's the very first one. As soon as we're separated from God and we are dead already. So when we come to understanding that we were bought at a price, that we've been paid for, that because of Christ I now have life and I will never, ever die again, I don't, then my belief window is I'm alive and I will live forever and ever because Christ died on the cross for me and paid my sins. I'm alive. My needs met by my belief window. Now, I'm also not going to, you know, I was going to say drive too fast, but, you know, but some example of, like, living my life on the edge, you know, kind of thing. I mean, so that's it. The need to love and to be loved. Go back to Christ. Christ died on the cross for you. Christ loves me. God cares about me. The Holy Spirit dwells inside of me. I am loved. I don't really have to do anything. My behavior does not have to change for me to be loved because I am fully loved unconditionally. You know, the need to feel important. I mean, that was goes back to the verse. I was bought with a price. I'm important. I mean, the God of the universe has his ear inclined to me. The God of the universe looks to and fro over the face of the earth to see a heart turned toward him that's blameless. And blameless means that there's nobody that's, that you've wronged. There's nobody out there that says that you've got not against me and you haven't tried to make it right. That's what blamelessness is. It's not being perfect. That means I've, I've tried to make it right with everybody I can. But he's looking to and fro over the earth to find a heart that's turned to him so that he can show himself mighty on their behalf. Now, that, I think that's, I, I'm, that's important. I feel pretty special that the God of the universe is looking around for my heart. So when I want to go up to 353 North Post Oak Lane, number 6250, and see my heart, blameless toward him to show me money. So then my behavior, you know, so it's so important what's our belief in. And I love this. How about experience variety? I'm telling you, since I've come to know Christ for the past 16 years, it has been a wild ride. I have traveled around the world. I've had opportunities to do just amazing and profound things. It's been a wild ride. And if you would have told me 16 years ago, Becky, these are the things that are going to happen and what you're going to have to go through and this is what you're going to be doing today, I would have probably said, uh, yeah. Is there any other way I can get to heaven? You know, can I wait on this? You know, you know, because it was hard. It hasn't been easy. It hasn't been always fun. You know, but it's been variety. You know, it's been exciting as we go through this thing. Real important. Okay, we have um, the next slide. I'm like pushing this down like it's going to move the slide. You, we already talked about this, so you got about five clicks here. Click, 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 click. Conscious, and then pain. One more click. So you guys understand what we talked about last night. I mean, it's real important. I think Nick. Um, I thought Nick's example today when he talked about I realized I was a lousy husband. Now, you for now probably already knew that. So, but, but she didn't tell him. You know, and Nick is harder on himself than probably anybody else. But he was unconsciously incompetent. I mean, it wasn't like just all of a sudden one minute he realized, I mean, that he was a lousy husband and he realized he was a lousy husband, you know. But God convicted him and became consciously incompetent. He knew that he was a lousy husband and his impression. and his So he could have stayed there. But his love for Euthanel 
as we saw expressed today, and his love for God to do things right overrode that desire, and he became consciously competent. Now, in his, based on his words, he's still not fully unconsciously competent because and none of us really in some areas of our life are ever going to get to that point where it's just going to be, you know. But man, to be consciously incompetent, and that's really what it is, is this intention to live in intentional, intentional. You're not going to be the perfect mother. You're not going to be the perfect spouse. You're not going to be the perfect dad or a sister or a worker or a daughter. But I am going to have specific intentional things that I want to be about that I'm going to constantly think about that I'm going to do. And I'm going to move forward in those kind of things. That is, I mean, you can use that when you're about lost. You know, people that are lost have no idea they're lost. And then there's an awareness that they're lost. And then even in that awareness, how often do they stay lost? Until the pain gets great enough. Bam. Then they can move on to conscious competence. Okay. Go to the next one. Give me about four. Give me about five clicks on that, something like that. Okay. Y'all can jot these down because these are. Oh, I can email them to you if you'll communicate with me. These are as you do your governing values. Like I can't click and talk at the same time. I mean, how awful is that? These are some really great questions that you need to ask yourself. Um, you know, your, what's your eye being? What are you going to walk across? What's my high priorities? What am I living for? When I die, what do I want people to say about me? You know? What are the highest priorities in my life? Are these priorities what do they most? Is what I'm doing today really matter in my life? And if it doesn't, that doesn't mean you just quit today. But you start working toward getting to that point that it's not. Everyone was talking about with both. They talked about we just have had some really lousy jobs. And, um, you know, I've decided that the only thing that was consistent about my lousy jobs was me. So I think a lot of it was my own issue. But, um, but now we've got great jobs. And, and for the most part, in a lot of ways, I probably would do this in the, even if I wasn't getting paid. You know, I like getting paid, though. But I'd probably do it if I wasn't getting paid. So you start moving in that. And in that way, we're going to have inner peace when we start bringing together what I do on a daily, moment-by-moment, hour-by-hour basis with what I really value. And then it becomes important. I mean, I think that's what's so interesting about so many people that will stand here in the pit behind this pulpit and share with you is we're passionate about what it is. And that, that's, I mean, that really is the only difference so often is it's our stories, it's our messages, and, and we're passionate about it. And that we can start mixing our passion with something that we can then influence others about it. It's great. Once you write down what those, those characteristics are, um, and they should be in you know, I will someday be. No, don't do that. I am. You know, think in the positive and bring it forth positive. One thing I love to do is grab some scripture with those values and associate those so that kind of even grounds you further about why you do it. And then it's real important to prioritize them. And let me show you what my, let me show you my values and I'll show you one, one, share one story and then we'll be done. <laughs> my number one value is I love Christ. I love Christ. And kind of just a, a sentence that I, so what does that look like? Because it's important for me to, you know, answer that question. What does it look like? You know, I spend quality time one-on-one with Christ and share him with others. Philippians 3.8. And that is in my life first forever. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the unsurpassing greatness of, of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. I consider it rubbish that I may gain him. 
And so what that says is really anything other than working a relationship in a deep relationship with Christ is rubbish. It's throw away. And early in my life it was easy. Early in my Christian life it was easy. You know, you know, get drunk, you know, go to church. Get drunk, go to church. Okay, I think going to church is probably going to give me a greater opportunity to love Christ than it would be for me to you know, get drunk. You know, you know, but now it's like it's all on the inside. You know, the cup is clean. I got a whitewashed cup on the outside. You guys have no idea what I think about most of the time. Praise the Lord. It's <laughs> made repentant fast is what it does. But it's not getting that gossip and the integrity and the line and the... Because I can embellish. You can just imagine how I can embellish. I can tell a yarn, you know, and the Lord really convicted me about that. You know, even if it is going to make a better point, tell the truth. Tell the truth. I'll look at Value number two for me, and this is my values, and nobody can judge my value. I have integrity. I live a life above reproach. And what that means for me is that if Becky says she's going to do it, she's going to do it. You can take me at my word. You can take me at my word. And um, the, the words I speak are going to be truth. And that's not always fun for some of my friends. I wouldn't be my friend sometimes. Value number three, I'm cheerful. And that, that, what I saw in 15, 1 and 2 talks about that. And that's a great, you know, who can enter into this holy hill? He who has a clean hand and a clean heart. That's what Psalm 15, 1 and 2 says. Uh, number three, I'm cheerful. My attitude is upbeat and encouraging to others. I'm just going to, um, I'm going to be real honest about, not that I haven't been honest. I mean, right after integrity, that's really not the best thing to say, was it, Sam? I have been lying my teeth off this whole time, and now I'm going to just get real finally with you guys. Um, Carol, I've freaked her out. I mean, not freaked, I probably freaked her out, but I, I, she can't figure me out as far as my personalities, and we can't figure out what I am a personality. I am very, you know, choleric, sanguine, melancholy, phlegmatic. I am, surprise, surprise, I'm heavy choleric. I mean, I'm, I'm in charge. I like to be in control, and I like that. I am not sanguine. People drain me. I mean, I thought about that when I was coming. Carol said, is it too much to do this? And I said, it might be. You know, because what happens is I get overpoured and underfilled. And so you can just pray for me. i got a huge week coming up. I mean, so... You know, I'd love to be here, and but I, you know, so I'm I've poured out a lot, but I also know in my mind that for me to accomplish what I want to accomplish as an influencer and as a lover of Christ and to lead others to that, and because I do want to be a cheerful person, it's important for me to be encouraging. It's important for me to sit and visit and talk and and know what's going on and and you know, and there was a time in my life that that was a mask. And I just was the life of the party because I thought that was my role, but man, I was not the life of the party inside. But God has transformed me and changed me. And there's freedom in that for me in the fact that I can then say, you know, you know, I can't hang around for dessert fellowship tonight. <laughs> you know, I gotta go to bed. You know, and, um, or I can say I need one-on-one time with you, Vicki, not bring Carol along. You know, but, but it just goes back to one of my values, my number three value is that I'm cheerful and that I'm encouraging and upbeat to others. And so that's an important value of mine. So I live intentionally and I walk that out. Does that make sense? So um, I'm just trying to give you a real true understanding of who I am. Value number four, I seek truth, capital T, truth. Only through true understanding will set, will set anyone free from bondage, John 8, 32. You know, um, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. 
You know, we've got to know the truth, and so I seek truth. And and because of that, and because I'm a prophet, and because I'm choleric, I I can tend to be critical and judgmental. Because if it's not truth and it's not right on, then you know I'm going to kind of bust on that instead of you know I throw the baby out with the bathwater, if you know what I mean. And but I hopefully I get better at that, Carol. Right? That was that. Okay, good. <laughs>
And my one friend, I just like tell everybody because, you know, if you do things in secret, God will reward you openly. So I'm giving money is one of the things you do in secret, so I don't, didn't tell everybody. I told her about it. And so she shared with some other people. Long story short, I got a, I had a $400 gift card and $100 in cash um, for my birthday for clothes. And a friend to go with me to go help me go shopping to buy those clothes. And I thought I was saying, like, these jeans I paid for $5 for them at the thrift store, and this t-shirt Vicky just gave me, you know, my belt, someone just the same belt pad on the other side, it's reversible, don't we love that? And so, so, so anyways, you know, but, so money is a means to an end, and I'm, I'm, I, I'm very frugal. Number nine, I'm an influencer. I mean, we talked about that one. Number ten, I'm productive. My works will demonstrate my faith. I will accomplish things, and I will do it. And then finally, number eleven, I'm physically fit. I'm going to tell you what's so interesting about these values for me is that, again, I said I wrote them in 1993, 1994 is when I wrote these values down and started working on them. And I don't do like I probably, you know, don't do as I say, not as I do. You know, I probably look at my values once a quarter, really look at them. Um, and that's probably not often enough. I probably, you probably, sh- I should look at them more often. And when I look at them more often, I, I do a lot better with me personally. But I wrote these values and I wrote those values. I was, I know, I was not physically fit. I mean, I couldn't walk a mile. I was significantly overweight. Um, you know, I wasn't physically fit. And my other values, probably most of them weren't really very true either. But I was believing them. I mean, I had just come to know Christ in that, you know, within a year or two. Who became the Lord of my life? I'm a good Southern Baptist. I was saved when I was seven, but, you know, he became the Lord later. That's a whole other story. But I look at those values now, and at least in my humble opinion, this is, i got to tell you this line. It's a John Or Ortberg line. It's like, I know I should be humble, but what if nobody notices? <laughs> I love that. I know I should be humble, but what if nobody notices? Anyway, so um you know, fifteen years ago when I wrote these, they weren't true. But now they really are. A lot of them are really true. And the last thing that got right on this is I got physically fit. And that was my number eleven value. And I, I think that's just the Lord honoring what amazingly we write down. And he does respond well in the midst of those kind of things. So I would strongly encourage you guys to write a personal constitution. You know, write down what are your values, what are your steps. Call me, email me, I will, and my email has got a stamp block on it, so you'll get a saying back that says, I really love you, and I really like to talk to you, but, you know, fill this little thing out. But I also check my spam filter, too. But email me, and I'll be more than happy to send you some sample constitution. I have one. I have Carol's. I have one that a friend of mine did that's married with two young kids, so it kind of, I do the spectrum, you know, 30s, 50s, 60s, so that we can do on that, and 30s, 40s, 60s, so that we can do on those kind of things, so, yes? I don't know if that got on there or not. I don't, I, I don't know, did we record them? Uh-huh. Oh. Let me find out. Okay. The, I didn't even know we record them. Okay. So, any any quick questions or anything? I, know, I mean, we're, we ran all along. We're at three twelve. But any any questions or any anything? Turner, Becky Turner. If I had my name tag on. When are you going to write your book? I said, Sarah Rainey writes it for me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm serious. I know. I'm not. Well, you know, it's 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 uh, it, yeah. It's not my idea yet. <laughs> but it's not the first time that I've heard that. Um, there's another great book out there by a gentleman named Hiram Smith, who was the founder of Franklin Quest, who now is with Franklin Covey. And um, it's called um, The Twelve Laws of Time and Life Management. The Twelve Laws 
of time and life management. And um, that um, that book is um, um, out of print. Out of print. <laughs> <laughs> but it is also, but you can, you know, a lot of lot out of print. Amazon, you can find it. You can still find it, I think, on the web. A lot of this I kind of took from that, but obviously I put it in a Christian perspective. You know, there's nothing new under the sun. And that's part of me. Why do I want to write a book? Someone's already written books about time management and all that thing. And, and then the next thing is once you write your values down, then start looking at those values and say, okay, well, how, how do I line up goals to make this value happen? If one of my values is I love Christ, then one of my goals is that I have a quiet time. And for some of us it might be, okay, well, how do you, what does it look like? You know, and Carol made me do a DVD about that. It's on, it's in the... In the great starter kit, one of the weeks that you watch in class is making modeling a quiet time. That was good. That was good. For me personally, it was really good. For me personally, I really, people would say, have a quiet time, have a quiet time, have a quiet time. And until I actually saw somebody do it, I mean, not like in her home, but she did it. So that was the heart behind that. You know, I'm cheerful, so how do I go about being cheerful? Memorizing scriptures, you know, being intentional about encouraging. I love my family. I want to be a godly wife. I want to be a godly uh, a godly um, mother. Let me tell you, if you're married, and, um, you know, Tom might be able to testify. Tom, you're the only guy in here. Tom might be able to testify on this. You want to freak out your spouse. You know, the Bible says that we're supposed to be their helpmates. And... Just find the right timings, everything, girls. Find the right time and go to your spouse and say, Honey, I want to be your helpmate. What can I do to help you? And then once she gets up off the ground, <laughs> it might surprise you what little things. I had a, a, a friend of mine's daughter did that, and he's like, Whoa, okay, well, let me think about that. So a couple of days later, he comes back, and this is amazing. He said, Well, if you would... Um, if you would pick up my dry cleaning for me instead of me having to go by and pick up my dry, she's a stay-at-home mom. You know, CEO of, of her home is what I call that, CEO of the, um, what's her last name, Hudgens, the CEO of the Hudgens Corporation. And so she says she's a stay-at-home mom, and he said, if you would pick up my dry cleaning for me, if you would um, always keep whites, you know, keep my white drawers, I mean my white drawer, so I got my undies and my socks and my T-shirts, get those. If you always just keep that full, and then, and then, honey, I'm more than happy to take the trash out. But when the kitchen trash can, when you have to start, like, balancing things on the trash can, if you would just, just take the bag out and set it to the side, you don't have to tie it off when you set it aside. If you would just do that, you know, and I'll put the bag back. If you'll do this, that's, and she's like, okay, I, you know, I think I could probably do those things. Is, is there any, no, no, no? Well, I don't think there's anything. Okay, is that great, girl? Think about that. Because we as women, if you came to us and said, Honey, I just need all of my emotional needs. I just need you to make me feel secure and make me feel important. And, you know, but, and Nick said it. And they're not, I mean, Tom, right, you guys aren't brilliant. You know, it doesn't take much. It doesn't take much. They're all the ones that are all, you know, discombobulated. You know, it doesn't take much. Let me tell you. You go home, you ask your husband that, whether you like it or not. That has nothing to do with any of this. You would see some amazing things happen into your marriage. And I, I, I can guarantee that. Not from me, but from the only one that's worthy. Because that's what this says. 
Go do that. And even if, even if you already have a great, fantastic marriage, have a super well marriage. You know, over the top. So anyways, bless you guys. Thank you for coming out. And we appreciate you.